When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. You used to associate crickets with silence. But since you bought a house in the suburbs, you know crickets hate silence. If any other creature realized rubbing its legs together made a piercing high-pitched noise, they might think, maybe I won't do that. Constantly. All night long. Luckily, you can save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto. Now that's something to make noise about. Just not constantly. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. Good evening, everyone. It is Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Hope you're staying healthy. Hope you're staying safe. Hope everyone is getting along as as good as they can, as good as you can. Once again, stay active as much as you can with your mind. You know, and, and indulge yourself with the arts, TV, books, music, board games, interaction with people as much as you can. Talk on the phone. So you can stay and keep your mind busy. We have our latest guest our, 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 for our latest new music spotlight. And that is Brad Marr from the band Massive from Australia by way of Germany. What's going on, Brad? How you doing? I'm doing very well, mate, as well as everybody else, you know, cooped up in their houses. So, uh, yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing okay. Uh, how are you, Jake? I'm doing as good as I can, man, just trying to stay busy. I mean, I've been under quarantine or under lockdown where I'm at now for this is fifth week right now. This is just ending the fifth week, going into week six. So, um, wow. yeah, it's it's been pretty crazy, but, um, you know, you got to do what you got to do, I guess, for yourself and for everybody around you and Hopefully, if more people take this serious and don't venture out of the house, the quicker this stuff goes away. So, we're all hoping, we're all trying to band together. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the the sentiment here as well. I mean, we've been in lockdown probably about the same amount of time as you here in Germany, um, and and my homeland Australia has probably been a few weeks less. But uh, yeah, it's it's a worldwide serious problem now, and I think people are. The majority of people are taking it seriously, which is good. Um, 
but yeah, you can only make the best of a of a crappy situation and then do your part by staying home, I guess. Which is what we what we what we have to do, I guess. Yeah, you you know, the more people do it, the more people are involved, the more people are strict in what they have to do. The quicker this goes away. I mean, that's basically what everybody that has a science degree in 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 this and has studied this is that you know, the more people stay indoors, the more people you know don't venture out and and go to parties or whatever. The the quicker this goes away, and hopefully. Hopefully it does, because, you know, who knows what's going to happen after this is all said and done, what the new normal is going to look like, and, and when things will get back to normal. So, yeah, there's a lot to well, take yeah. in. I mean, 2020 was meant to be that, that year that everything's going to be great, you know, and uh, <laughs> it went downhill pretty good for everybody, hasn't it? So Yeah, we're going to get – We yeah. just have to all sit down and bunker. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to get into that cuz you know a lot of people are like you. Uh, a lot of people are like massive. You know, I've interviewed several bands over the last few weeks and yeah, it's it's kind of putting that momentum on pause to you know to do for you know the greater good, but also, you know, you're kind of frustrated cuz you had a lot of motivation, you had a lot of momentum, you had a lot of ambition for this year and you know, it, it it just is what it is, and, and you have to just deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we deal, deal with it the way it comes. You know, you, can, you can't you can't predict what's next. So, yeah, you just have to go with the flow and, and you know trust the trust the scientists, trust the medical staff, and yeah, do what you can. Before we get in all that, we always start the show the same way every time we have a new guest on the hook rocks and that is the essence of the show just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in every rock fan has a moment whether it's a song an album a band or performance that hook them on rock and roll what is it for you uh for me probably guns and roses live at the ritz 1988 i didn't i wasn't there um i was two years old but um Looking, you know, watching that performance, watching that um, that whole gig of a tragic nightmare of a gig where guitars are out of tune and everyone's drunk and it is so electric. Um, we we based massive a lot off that one DVD. Um, just we wanted to be a reckless rock and roll band, especially when we started. We were, you know, a lot younger and a lot dumber than what we are now. But we just we loved that kind of recklessness of, of, of that concert um, I, I suppose it's a cheating answer because it was the DVD but uh, probably the, the gig that I went to that probably you know influenced me most it's, it's very Guns N' Roses based here again was uh, Velvet Revolver on their first Australian tour um, you know I, I scored free tickets from a radio station and just you know I, I loved the band and whatever but you know obviously didn't have any money to go and, and watch a you know a concert like that size, but uh, yeah, ended up just loving watching live bands, and uh, you know, I was in my teens or late teens then, but um, just enjoying music from a live point of view, it, it kind of really threw me into overdrive to to play music live and to, to be that guy on stage. So yeah, it is a pretty reckless show, and it it, it does really define the essence of rock and roll. Uh, you know, the Guns N' Roses era of that moment with, you know, that was right after, was that right after Appetite was released or right or just before? 
Well, it might have just been after they, they they were still playing clubs. They weren't playing, you know, stadiums or anything like that. They hadn't they hadn't broken. But I mean, in production was a slow kind of build anyway. When it was released, it didn't didn't shoot to number one. It, it just built its way up to being with that album. So I think it was just after it was released. But yeah, it was in MTV sessions. I think it was, and yeah, you could just see that this band wasn't ready for absolute stardom but in a good way. They weren't ready to be methodical. They were there to blow everyone's brains out. So you could see that energy and you could see the, you know, the mistakes live as they happened. You don't see that on live concerts really because it's everything is such big production and, you know, everything, every little mistake is hidden with, with effects and, and, you know, just, just a stage show. But this was, this was a reckless live band playing to millions of people and, you know, on the TV. It really was. I mean, I remember when that single came out, Welcome to the Jungle. I remember watching MTV on a Saturday night being a kid and around midnight that debuted and it fell flat. It didn't do anything. It was basically, you know, for the time being kind of one and done. I mean, it, it, it just didn't resonate at all. And then they re-released it several months later. And then that's when it blew up. That's when Welcome to the Jungle blew up. That's when Guns N' Roses blew up. And then they got the, I think they were on tour with Aerosmith after that. And it just, it, it you know, it became this larger than life, out of the stratosphere, you know, band that, uh, you know, we all know and love to this day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they they probably have the... They obviously have the songs and the and the and the talent and actors got that unique voice. Flash has got that you know that tone, but they they're unique in all those bands. Like I, I love Motley Crue, I love Zeppelin, I love Metallica, I love all that whole era from the early eighties, the late seventies to early nineties, really. But Gunners had that swagger that no no other band could capture swagger like they could. It just was it was so much cooler, even ballads and even the the slower songs and the everything that they did had so much more swagger than everybody else so it was almost uh, that's what drew me in for sure yeah it was almost like uh, they didn't care you know they 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 you know they were just they were from the streets i mean you know everybody knows the story of them trying to make it and and you know the struggles that they had and and like every like a lot of bands from that era and they just were themselves and they just you know, everything was very authentic with them and you mentioned that swagger that swagger was so real you know and it it wasn't like an act and I think that's why it resonated so much absolutely you can tell bands that they leather jackets from expensive stores and you know only wears it for the photo shoot and then you can see a band that lives in their leather jackets and then lives on mattresses in the store you know in the storage compartment like you know you've read all the books and all that stuff and and you can you can tell the difference between a band that is just them and a band that wants to be them and you can't you can't practice that you can't fake that it's just just who you are really what about writing music you know you mentioned guns and roses the performance at the ritz and how that resonated with you how that connected with you what about writing a tune writing a song was there a band that had a lyric or a song that connected with you and said, hey, I'm going to give that a try? Probably not one band, to say. I mean, you know, I, I, I do love, you know, Zeppelin all the way through to, you know, 
the early nineties of, of grunge and stuff like that. So I, lo- I love the the seventies blues and the then to the heavy metal and then to the you know the glam and then to grunge that whole genre of rock from from start to finish you can hear in, in massive. So there's not one band that we look to for writing. I suppose you know if there's if there's anything for me lyrically, I I, I read lyrics for every band I read I read all the Beatles lyrics I read all the you know everything that comes out that I like the music of I look for the lyrics and see if there's inspiration in that so yeah I mean it's it's a different thing for me personally because I I write lyrics um, and it's much more of a personal thing for me like you can you can rip out a riff I can rip out a riff today and, and hate it or love it and whatever but lyrics of what I speak it's what I communicate so yeah that's for me it's it's just it's a bit of that I've ever read and everything I've ever listened to and everything I've ever you know been interested in combined makes the you know what I write next come out you know when you mention the influences you know you mentioned Zeppelin you mentioned Guns N' Roses you mentioned all the era from that music and then you listen to your music with Massive and it's very similar with the elements of rocking out and having a good time and you know wearing your 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 emotions on your sleeve when you're when you're playing and it's it's refreshing because it it is you know a a a swagger that you guys have and you can tell with the music and you can tell with what your influences are it's a lot of adrenaline a lot of good hooks and powerful powerful you know hooks as well yeah i think I, i can't remember where i read it um but the Appetite for Destruction album, when they recorded it, you know, whatever the producer said, whatever whatever they thought the song should be at, like a you know the tempo was 150 beats a minute, they went and recorded it at 155 beats a minute. Just everything that they thought when they went into the studio, they just sped it up like it was a live gig. And we we follow that sort of trend. You know, we when you write a song, you play it on your on your acoustic guitar or through your, your little eye rig and on your phone or whatever you do bring it to band practice it gets a little faster it gets a little bit more energy you play it live it, it you know it speeds up so much more and then when you go in the studio a lot of bands then slow down and, and try and capture that you know original you know sound that you first went for and we're not like that we we go okay this is how fast we play it live let's you know maybe even overcompensate and play it a little faster to capture that energy in a studio so yeah and again that's the, the bands that do that, I think that's how we create our swagger. Um, I'm not sure how other bands create their swagger, but that's that's our method of, of trying to get that live kind of just craziness on record. What is the recording process? I mean, the last album you guys did, Rebuild Disaster, or, yeah, Rebuild Destroy, rather. Rebuild Destroy, yeah. Rebuild Destroy, yeah. And uh, it was released in 2019 in February. What is the process with that? What was the recording process? Well, this album was a lot different than the first two. Um, the, the first, the first record, we we went and you know took out loans <laughs> from the bank to record in a proper studio, um, and they got assigned. We, we we got onto a big label, and you know it, it all kind of blew up from there. We got on you know a couple of big magazines and, and toured a lot. So for the second album, we had budget. We had this. <laughs> this big budget to, to spend on a record and we spent it all on you know trying to do something I think we were just 
who invested in trying to make the best album in the world and kind of forgot about the, the magic of the first record. So come Rebuild Destroy, um, we just we took it back to basics. We we just demoed in a in a home setup, just just you know, laptop with a couple of mics and, and got the vibe. Um, we, we did the drums in a studio and then we did the whole the rest of the album in a in a home studio. We just wanted to capture the vibe of, of, of a bunch of guys playing music. Um which you know these days it's, it's easy to do that. Um, you couldn't do that in the you know in the eighties or nineties. You had to you had to spend big on a big studio. You know we were more interested on this album to try and capture a kind of just a rock and roll vibe. Um, we didn't care about having you know this big fancy wooden shack on a farm that costs you know a thousand bucks a day. We didn't need it. We just needed to put the music down. So yeah, this this, this album was a lot. A lot kind of stripped back from the old stuff that we did, um, but in the in the process, we were trying to capture that just mates playing in a in a room, making as much noise as we can. You know, when you talk about your influences and you talk about what you want to accomplish with a record, how do you fuse all that into your sound and make it sound your own? I mean, we don't really think about it. We just play. The way we play live, um, we we don't have the most fancy gear. I mean, we've been using the same Marshall stacks for the last five gigs, for the last five years, really. Um, and the the gigs, the, the the amps we use on stage, the amps we record with, the guitars we use on stage, same thing. So we don't we don't try to overthink it this time. Uh, as I said, the second album, we went out and we we brought in a whole bunch of gear and we we hired a you know. A big studio, um, and sure, it, it, the the record sounds pleasing, but I think we kind of lost that just that raw craziness that Massive is. Just get in a room and play rock and roll music. So yeah, there's no there's no process to to getting your your vibe. We just don't change the way we act on stage. It's the way we act in the studio. It's the same thing for us. And when you're writing for this past record compared to Destination Somewhere and then the debut of Full Throttle, how is that evolving? How is, you know, the, the process of writing music, writing lyrics? Are you guys, you guys still want to maintain the energy that you have? Because, you know, a lot of bands, you always hear that, oh, you know, they, the album's good, but you got to see them live. They're great. And it's hard to transfer that energy from a stage to an album. And it sounds like, in my opinion, you, you guys did with this past album, but how is that evolution process? I mean, do you have to maintain your authenticity as you're recording, but you also want to keep building on what you've done before? Yeah. I mean, the thing is with us is we've done three albums now and they've, they've all been uh, different processes. I think we're still trying to find the best way to do it. Um, Full Throttle was the first 11 songs we ever wrote as a band. Um, we, We didn't, we didn't have anything left on the chopping board. And when we got signed, they asked us for some, some studio takes and we didn't, we had no other songs. We didn't, we didn't demo any other songs. We didn't, we actually had to go into a studio and write some new songs to make bonus tracks for the, uh, the extended release. Um, so the, the authenticity or the authenticity for that album was, this is literally what we have. This is, this is us, you know, take it or leave it. Um, and then for this new album, uh, it was it's very different because you know we all live. None of us live within 
you know, I live in Germany and the, and the three that live in Australia don't live within 10 hours drive of each other. So it, it's like we only see each other when we're touring, when we're recording. Um, so writing processes, send us your ideas over, you know, over the internet. Just, just come up with riffs, come up with, with whatever. And we spent maybe maybe four weeks um, putting those ideas together, getting getting songs out of the ideas, and and then just yeah, straight into the studio. As I said, three days doing the drums and, and three weeks doing the whole album from start to finish. You know, if you want seven weeks from from nothing to to a record on the on the on the table, so there was no there was no thought process to it. It was just do it sort of thing. Well, I think you did accomplish what you set out for. I mean, the songs like Bullet are long time coming. Great song. The album is phenomenal. Rebuild, Destroy, in my opinion, was one of the better releases in rock in 2019. Now you're in 2020, and we are dealing with something globally that we've never dealt with before. We talked briefly about it at the beginning of the interview, about how you know this year was supposed to be the year... There's a lot of bands that I've talked to that felt the same way. I just interviewed Paul Martin from Devilskin, you know, a couple of weeks ago, oh, cool. and you know, he, he they were on the same boat. You know, they were looking forward to their European tour, and they were looking forward to doing great things with their rate, latest release, Red. And then this happened. Uh, there's other bands that speak the same truths and the same story. What has it been like since the momentum has had to be paused for Massive? Um, well, to be honest, we're, we're still kind of processing it. You know, we uh, right now I'm meant to be on a plane to Australia um, next week. We're meant to be filming a live DVD, um, and we're meant to be on tour all the way through to June now. So we're we're kind of you know stuck in this idea of <laughs> I don't want to think about it right now because it, it, it sucks. But, you know, it's going to come a time when we're going to have to reschedule all these shows. We haven't even looked at rescheduling the tour yet because we don't know when things are going to open. Um, and a lot of bands have, have said, you know, you know, we've got 10 shows to reschedule. We've got nearly 40 shows across seven countries um, that need rescheduling. And it's hard to do that because, one, you've got to put them all in order. You can't, you can't just do... You know, can't just fly to Sweden for three days. We can't just fly to the UK for two weeks. It, the, you know, the whole group, there has to be a whole tour rescheduled, not just a bunch of shows. Um, and yeah, we, we've just, <laughs> our way of coping with it is we've just ignored it, <laughs> to be honest, for now. We're just trying to, um, you know, get by with just, you know, keeping our minds sane with just keeping happy and then whatever. Um, and then when it when it when it comes time to getting back on the road and rescheduling the, the studio time, rescheduling the DVD filming, you know, we have to be in the right mindset to do that. So I think we've we've used this you know four weeks of lockdown to just stop um, and just just exist. I think that's probably the best way to describe it. And having that creative outlet while this is all going on, is that being satisfied? Are you at least trying to keep busy, maybe writing music, um, doing what you can to stay creative? Me personally, uh, yeah, but not just with music. I've just been doing, not just even with Massive, I've just been doing anything that keeps my mind active. Like I've been cooking ridiculous meals every night, just just turning the kitchen into a, into a master chef kind of studio thing where I've just 
been doing things that I wouldn't usually do when when my day job music has been you know the forefront of my mind so yeah I've been and we've been writing obviously we've you always need a you always need new content and there'll be a fourth album to, to write soon um, we did a little coronavirus parody um, and touched it online kind of went viral um, on YouTube and yeah I mean it's just as I said we're trying to you know cope with it by not getting too down on the on the facts not getting too down on the facts that we're you know or the band's losing a ton of money um, but just the facts that we're you know we're healthy and we've, we've still got something to look forward to in the future so yeah the, the creative process is there we're still working but we're trying to distract ourselves with other things I guess you know, it's hard to live in the moment mentally with this, too, especially when you have a lot going on because you're forced to live in the moment and, you're, and you, you, you know of the things that you were, you were doing or were going to accomplish before this. So when, you know, when you're in lockdown and when you're in your house and you're doing the same things every day, you're trying to keep busy and you're trying to do all that stuff – it's hard mentally to say, you know what, we could, we should be on tour right now. We should be playing right now, and we exactly, should be doing yeah. all these things. And also, too, once this is over, what's it going to look like? What's life going to be like as a result of all these things happening? That's a huge question, too. And like you mentioned, it's hard to reschedule things when, A, you don't know when you're going to be able to perform again, and, B, what's performing going to be like once this is all said and done, you know, until – you know, a lot of people feel until there's widespread testing or a vaccine, it may be difficult for crowds to come together. So this all has to be taken exactly. into account. And, I, you know, when you have great music like you guys do with the last album, Rebuild, Destroy, and you have all this momentum and, and everyone's kind of was hoping that this year would be great. Um, you know, it's 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 got it can't be lost on people that, hey, What's this all going to shake out like? What's this going to be like once if this is over? There might be a lot of uh, coronavirus-related uh, parodies, or not parodies, but just just the albums that come out are going to be a lot more darker and and you know very themes, I guess, in the coming years with people that you know. If if other writers are like me, you write from your experience, you write from what you see, what you do. Uh, what am I seeing? What am I doing right now? It's the same four walls every single day. It's it's the same. It's this kind of cabin fever that's not going away anytime soon. And you turn on the TV and it's you know dread and and death and and horrible. So who knows? Maybe maybe not just massive, but other bands is going to have this kind of creative outlet. You know, when there is a chance to to process it all. You know, who knows what what comes out of all of this creatively but um yeah working wise we can't do anything about it so there's no point getting down about it we just have to accept it and when there's the opportunity to fix it we'll be you know back on the road back in the van as soon as possible i guess yeah i think that's the best way to approach it i mean there's nothing you can do about it there's nothing that you know will will change you know no matter how angry you get no matter how annoyed you get it's still going to be what it is. Nothing is going, exactly. you know, yeah. so, so instead of worrying about what you can't control, you know, only worry about what you can. And, and that is your day-to-day life. That's your creativity. That's all that stuff that goes into, 
making music and moving the band like massive forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're probably lucky that the the album is now 18 months old. Um, not quite. For us, it's two and a half years old because we wrote it, you know, well before it came out. But, uh, you know, we've already done two tours in Europe. We've done two Australian tours um, for the album. This tour that was meant to start this week was going to be the end of the album cycle anyway. So we've at least we've at least done the album and done what we were meant to do with it. Um, and after this tour was going to be the creative process anyway. So, you know, if you're looking for, you know, turning lemons into lemonade, I guess you're, we've just, you know, pushed forward the, you know, the ideas time and the creative time. And then, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, 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 you grasp the straws here because, you know, as I said, bands and, and every business and every person out there is, is losing a lot of money and losing a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, mental strength to, to do what they want to do. Um, so we just have to look at the bright side and, and, you know, see what we can make of the situation. I think we're doing okay. We're just, you know, um, the album number four, we've, we've got ideas for, we've, we've, you know, obviously it's not ready to be put down as demos or anything like that because we're not in, not in the same country, not in the same place. But we have been using the time before all of this to come up with ideas um, and yeah come August September time would have been the time where we start making the next record anyway so we're not we're not in that situation where we're going to you know call it call it a day and, and say this is going to defeat us we're just uh, we're just riding the storm I guess with this being your third album and now on Earache Records the state of rock and roll has been come, called into question over the last decade with a lot of people saying rock and roll is dead. We know that not that that's not the case. That's not true. But there is a concern about its relevancy and how it's taken a back seat to other genres at this moment. I've expressed this many times on the podcast. I believe, I firmly believe that there is a wave of new bands coming up that will retake the mainstream in terms of music and be at the forefront of music as we move forward. Whether it's bands in Australia, whether it's bands in Europe, the UK, whether it's bands in, in the United States. How, what do you feel is the current state of rock and roll? What are the current challenges that are that you're seeing as you guys grow from album to album? Outside of everything going on with COVID-19, what do you think you know is, is about to happen with rock music? I think you, I think you pretty much nailed it when you said uh, it's not dead; it's just not relevant as much anymore. I mean, uh, a lot of bands uh, are doing great things in rock and roll, and uh, you know, you obviously talk to a lot of bands. You see a lot of bands working. Um, there's there's rock and roll out there. People want to source it. It's, it's just not being sourced at the moment because it's not on the radio as much. It's not obviously. There's always a niche for it. There's always the music festivals and stuff like that, but kids these days are listening to Billie Eilish. They're listening to indie music or, you know, just a whole different a whole different world away from the, the brand of music we play, um, which is okay. It's, you know, everything goes in waves. Um, if, you, if you think it's going to die, you're wrong. It's going to survive for as long as people make music um, and it'll evolve like it always has. 
the thing that will probably change it, I think, is like what happened in history. You, you take lessons from history, a band explodes. You need you need that kind of one band to not just break off, break off and be the biggest rock band, but be the biggest band. You need the Rolling Stones or the Beatles. You need Guns N' Roses or Van Halen or, or that to create a whole thing around them that lifts everybody up. You know, that, that 80s scene where, where Van Halen, um, Aerosmith, you know, then Motley Crue and then Guns N' Roses and all the bands underneath that that never got to superstardom, all those bands are still making money on the touring circuit. You know, there's a lot of bands like Pretty Boy Floyd and, and, you know, LA Guns. They never made it. They, they made it enough to still be working though. Um, and, and I think that that's what you need. You need that one or two big bands to influence the entire scene. And then you've got the relevance. The, the, everyone loves those two bands. And then the bands underneath get the, the, the offshoot of all the people that are interested in, in finding out new rock and roll. So yeah, it's just, you can't, you can't influence trends when it comes to rock and roll because at the moment it's not cool. It's not cool for kids to go out and, and find a, a new rock band. It's not cool for radio to, to pick up a new rock band. Sometimes it is, but it, it's a lot more, you know, other genre driven at the moment. And that's that's just the way it is. I think you just have to write again, <laughs> relevant to, to COVID-19, just you write out the storm and keep making music. And hopefully one of these bands that, that are coming up, hopefully it's us, um, you know, gets that, gets that level where it influences the, the bands around them. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, every time rock and roll has been counted out, when you look at the late 70s before Van Halen came out, you know, there, it was basically singer-songwriter like Kenny Loggins and Christopher Cross that were, you know, hitting the charts and, and their music was out there. And rock and roll really didn't have a, a, a definitive band. Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath were both on their decline in the late 70s. And there really wasn't anything out there that was, you know, kids were gravitating for. And then Van Halen 1, you know, comes out and the world changed after that record was heard and after that record was released. And you can look at other bands as, as you know, as time moved on after that. You know, Motley Crue created this image and Guns N' Roses, you know, those are probably and Def Leppard, too, as well. So, you know, it's 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 a it's a right now things look like you know rock and roll is nowhere to be found but there's this undercurrent of all these new bands and what's exciting is someone like myself who grew up in that period with Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue I feel it's very similar right now to that moment and it's just underneath the surface you know I always look at the 80s as being a very like like three different periods right there's the early 80s which it was really raw and it was it was just very you know nuts and bolts and then the mid 80s was the beginning of that glam period where there were the power ballads and the popularity and by the late 80s it was just off the charts it was just huge and i think that's what's happening now when you look at rock and roll and you and you feel you see the challenges that massive has had to deal with whether it's going to play in another market whether it's trying to get you know momentum in places like the united states how how do you guys take those challenges and how do you plan for getting into those markets? Yeah, look, I mean, a lot of that is, is out of our control. I mean, we focus on the music 
and and a lot of it is label based and and PR based and and, and trying to create a buzz for you. Um, what we can do is, is basically use the tools we have, you know, try and create content, try and create videos and then make fans by being approachable. And it's a, it's a lot different than the, the world that it used to be where bands would, you know, go to a country they've never, you know, they've never been to, they've never had any kind of success in, but then they explode because, you know, of the hype. Now it's a lot more, you know, the internet and, and, you know, YouTube and all of this stuff where, Bands are known all around the world um, on a much smaller basis. They've they've never been to you know Japan, but I guarantee you we probably sold you know we probably have fifty diehard bands in Japan, but that's not enough to go there and tour. So I think a lot of the get from the, the level of you know having 50, 50 or a hundred people in an area that will come to your gig, as opposed to getting two or five thousand people to your gig, is is a lot about just getting that hype from from the traditional ways and from the online sort of presence of being being just being a brand I guess I know that sounds pretty crap but but being that that thing that people want to see you know you've got to create content you've got to create music you've got to create videos you've got to create and you've got to approach you've got to you know be approachable for people as well people have got to be able to you know feel like they're part of the music and you know it's I don't want to say it's you know it's a long way to the top doing it that way because everything is right in your hands now. But uh, while rock and roll isn't relevant in the mainstream, a lot of a lot of everything that we do is is grassroots. Is you know making fans one at a time, whether it be online or whether it be touring. It's interesting because when you look at the similarities of today's rock music versus that period you know, in the late 70s and 80s, and you know, even beyond and even after. But when you look at how bands got discovered, when you take like the, the L.A. scene, you know, the Hollywood scene where everybody was punching their flyers on telephone poles and, you know, every, every ounce of any available space, you know, had flyers on it during that time. And it was a very grassroots campaign, very similar to what is happening now. But now you have technology. You have the ability to reach more people rather than just the people walking by seeing your flyer. You also, what's really interesting is that you, there's, there's periods where there's now both, both periods had grassroots campaign, that, you know, the current and then the past, whereas the past, you still had record companies really controlling what was heard and what you did. Whereas now you have the grassroots campaign and you really, like you said, you really have the opportunity in your hand to do what you do. You can record an album and you can put it out. You don't need, although you're on Eric Records, you don't really need a record label to, to get your music heard. Although it helps, it helps tremendously. You can, But with that grassroots campaign, you can still do a lot of stuff. But it's really interesting how some things are the same, some things are better, some things are worse, and some things are completely different. Oh, look, it, it, it's, it's a very um, handy thing, a very big tool in every band and every every business, I guess, is, is the internet and, and finding your audience and, and doing all that sort of stuff. Uh, rock and roll probably hasn't kept up to date with, with you know, other businesses and with other genres of music in the, in the online stuff. It's, uh, for a lot of bands, it's still albums, for a lot of rock and roll bands, at least, it's still albums and, and physical vinyls, whereas... New genres of music and and you know the stuff that's 
that's trending right now still about singles and it's, it's gone back to five singles in a year and, and you know, putting out five, uh, not going back to putting out five video clips, that's a new thing, but putting out, you know, six months worth of material before before the album comes out to create six months worth of hype. So it's completely evolved from, from Flyers on a Wall. When we first started, we were putting Flyers on the Wall and we were we were going out in the middle of the night to, with with flour and water to, to make fake wallpaper glue to a, you know to post them on 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 poles and street poles and all that sort of stuff. Um, that's completely gone from from bands now, and that's been you know in the last six or seven years that that's changed. But the the whole thing now is how do you get your your audience invested in your band? all the time it's it's not about a flyer on a wall it's about a flyer on their on their smartphone 365 days a year so that's the kind of the kind of you know challenges with having a worldwide audience in your in your in your pocket is how do you keep them entertained all the time how do you manage your social media i mean it's obviously like you said you know connecting with the fans is very important now having the fans feel more involved adds to that loyalty to the band or musician how do you guys do that we're pretty, we're pretty on it. I mean, we we try to post stuff, and we, you know, when we're not on tour, it's hard because you don't have any new gig posters, you don't have any new pictures of crowds or pictures of fans or anything. Um, but we try and just try and keep it active. We try and we try and reply to everybody who comments us and, and then stuff like that. We're not at the level where someone else runs our, you know, our social media. We do it all ourselves. Um, I don't think that's good. I think bands should do that at whatever level. At least at some point, you know, go and message a band. You know, go and message your fans and, and say thank you. Whether you're playing to fifty people or, or you know five million people, you should be should be giving the fans that sort of you know intimate you know addressing because they're they're the ones that are buying your music and investing in you. So we we try and be that band that is approachable. Um, when we play live, we're always the ones. At the, you know, at the merch stand first. When we're at a festival, we don't sit backstage. We we're always out in the crowd. We we always make an effort to meet people because we well, for starters, we like it. You know, we like you know going out and drinking beers with people. That's just what we do anyway. But um, yeah, just just having that kind of interaction with with people. They're not fans. They're people. Um, goes a long way to making people invested in your band. Yeah, that's something that never really existed, and I find that so awesome that, you know, you can communicate through social media with your favorite artists now more so than ever. I think that is a tremendous tool for bands coming up, and it also adds to, like I said, the loyalty of the fan base, you know? I mean, if if people are interacting with you, they're going to want to support you more because there's that relationship between you and your fan base, which I think is so, you know, vital right now. Absolutely, it's just such a it's such a great thing. I mean, we like talking to people. Like we're not we're not scared of being social. You know, we're we're in a rock and roll band to meet people and have fun. So whether it's online, whether it's at a gig, we're more than happy to. Well, not shake your hand at the moment because of, of social distancing. But we're more than happy to to talk to anybody and, and talk about music. So for us, it's not a hard stretch to to use social media to gain that kind of loyalty from people um, and that kind of community, I guess, for the band. Um, but other bands really should, really, really should use that 
especially in times like this, to their advantage. You've got you've got your entire fan base in your pocket on your phone. Um, so use it. Yeah, and I think that's another reason too why bands are more likely to release singles now before the album comes out months you know three four singles before the full-length album is because people's attention span is so different now than it was years ago where if you're you're constantly releasing music to your audience it keeps them occupied it keeps them it keeps their interest level high because oh massive has got a new single out this month oh massive has got their second single out and then the album comes out and then you have a marketing campaign behind that and all this stuff to keep interactive with your fan base it's it all it all has to work. It all has to be that machine that just keeps running. Yeah, it goes back to what I said. Like you need to entertain your crowd 365 days a year now. Where in the past you'd go on tour, you'd go off tour, and you'd go away for for 12 months, and you'd come back. You can't do that anymore because if you look at last week's news, it's completely different than this week's news. And if you if you look at what was cool, you know, six months ago, it's not even a thing anymore. So you've course got to be on it all the time and, and you know it, we enjoy talking a bunch of crap and drinking beers and, and that's you know that suits up for sure the band is massive the album is rebuild destroy released in 2019 a little over a year ago it's a great album i recommend all my listeners go out and buy it or go out and street you know buy it on uh, or get it on spotify or pandora all the streaming sites when they do let us all out of the house and they, they do go on tour. I know they may not be coming to America, but my listeners in the UK and Europe and in parts of Australia and wherever, go see this band. They are a phenomenal live band. If you need to check out their stuff on YouTube, it is awesome. They've got the swagger. They've got the power of all the bands that you've loved from the past. I highly recommend, again, once again, massive. My guest, Brad Marr, thank you very much for, for doing the podcast. I appreciate it. Jay, thanks for having me, man. That's been really cool. Thanks, Once again, everybody, this is Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Stay healthy, stay safe. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never thought about space in my cramped apartment, but in this house, all I see is empty space. The sofa and ottoman look like tiny islands in a sea of hardwood floors. I could get two ottomans in the living room, but then I'd need another sofa. I could tell people I'm into minimalism. Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 